This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. As usual, I'm joined by my friends, Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my, and of course, Arif Ruse, the man with the news. Hello, fellas. Hello. Hello, and thank you for having us back on the show, Richard. My absolute pleasure, Daniel. Thank you for making yourself available. Uh, now, I know you're very busy, uh, but we have a show in three parts, as per usual. At the top end, we have some discussions coming up on fuel subsidies and car launches. Then we've got some news uh, related to Carsome and a few other bits and pieces. And then wrapping up with a new car review. Uh, that's all coming up during the show. Arif, what have you got for us first, though? Um, I mean, other than, um, you know, a certain individual being hauled up by the MECC, I don't think we should talk about that yet. No, but... don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Daniel, you have something about fuel subsidies. It was a big topic over the past few weeks, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. it's been a big topic. A lot of people have contacted me uh, online and even friends and all and said, what's happening? Petronas makes a lot of money. Why are we still going to lose our subsidy? And I got to say this, like, you know, Malaysians have been spoiled for a very long time. I know a lot of people are going to be angry with me. But please understand, I also drive, I also use fuel, and I use a lot of fuel, and I have to I have to pay the price. But I think Malaysians have been wasting fuel, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know a lot of people who just do a quick run to Ipoh to get that chicken rice or that quick run to Malacca just to get that beef ball noodle, you know? And I think all this is a little bit unnecessary. And you know that... Okay, you want to go for a weekend drive, you go for a weekend drive. But, you know, let's be reasonable. Like, we're just burning fuel. And then also, everybody around us, forget about Singapore, but I'm talking about Indonesia, Thailand and all, they have slowly removed their subsidies. And that is why their economies are growing forward. Because when you have less subsidy on fuel, you can use that money to do other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're just allowing a lot of people, and, and think about it, who benefits the most from fuel subsidies? People with big capacity cars, people driving three-litre cars like Richard, you know, people driving expensive German cars like Arif, you know? <laughs> I mean, I mean wow. Says the person like, with like 12 million cars. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's yeah. only eight. Anyway, so, <laughs> the thing is, fuel subsidies are not benefiting. If they remove the fuel subsidies slowly, gradually, you'll also push a lot of people to start thinking about that unnecessary driving and your next car might be electric. Mm. Interesting. Okay. And you must remember this. Think about it. We are still one of the cheapest places in the region for fuel. I mean, at the moment, it's 205 per litre for around 95. That's really cheap. Thailand is almost three ringgit. Sorry, no, I think they're more. I think they're like five ringgit. And uh, Indonesia is like uh, almost four ringgit. So, come on. I think... Taking away some of the subsidy and putting it where it should be, like, you know, better infrastructure, better public transport, potholes, maybe bringing down the taxation on cars. So you give back, okay, I let you buy a new car cheaper, but please don't, you know, waste fuel. You know, there's a little bit of give and take everywhere. Yeah, but then again, as we've said in the past, so it's kind of like a chicken and egg situation, right? Yes, because people say, oh, now, you know, food delivery will go up, you know, price mm-hmm. of petrol mm-hmm. goes up, everything else goes up, you know, because the cost of moving the goods and services. But I think, you know, when it comes to moving goods and services, a lot of people out there take advantage of the situation and say, oh, I have to raise prices. You don't actually need to raise prices. Mm. 
I think in general, I support this decision, but you know, it's for the amount that we subsidize, I was just Googling it. It's we are likely to top up 28 billion ringgit for this year's uh, fuel subsidies. Mm. Uh, so that's a lot of money. It's going to take some time, maybe 10, 15 yes. years for us to fully remove this. And in those 10, 15 years, we do need to you know, work on our public transport infrastructure. No, I think they should do it in the next five years. And I, and I tell you, the next general election right after it, a lot of these subsidies are going to go. That will be interesting. Yes. Okay. Shall we move along, gentlemen? Yes, we should. Okay. Uh, what do you want to talk about now, Arif? Uh, we've got some car launches. <gasps> wow. I know. Mm. Wow. Amazing. On a car show. <laughs> On a car show. Um, we've got two plug-in hybrids, two very different plug-in hybrids. One of them is called uh, Haval H6 PHEV. That is from China, the brand. I think we know the Haval brand. Right? They used to sell cars here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this launch actually happened in Thailand. But why we are highlighting it here in Malaysia is because for Haval to have a right-hand drive version sent to Thailand, it's very, very possible that that same right-hand drive model will come to Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And it's a plug-in hybrid. It's a 1.4 petrol turbo engine mated to a plug-in hybrid system. It's got very good power delivery. It's got about 200 kilometers of possible electric driving range, which is equivalent to, say, driving a full electric Mini. Yeah. And if you think about it, this plug-in hybrid will not cost past 180000 I think it'll go around 140, 150. So... I think if it comes to Malaysia, it'll do really well. This SUV is pretty much the same size as a Sorento, right? Um, no, more like a CRV. Oh. More like the size hmm. of the CRV, or you would say the Toyota RAV4, you know, that kind of size. The thing I found interesting about this car is that the 200 kilometers of electric range, because this is something that a lot of car manufacturers are kind of working towards. And especially kind of cures the uh, range anxiety with the electric cars. Exactly, exactly. So if you, if you think about it, you can actually drive this car as a full electric car for a couple of days in, in, in city traffic and then charge overnight and then use it again for another few days. So literally, you'll hardly be using any fuel if you're very smart with a car like this. And then when you want to go outstation, you don't have to worry about charging infrastructure because you just run it as a normal car and fuel up when you want to. Makes a sense. Yep. Okay, from one end of the spectrum to the other. This is a really different spectrum, isn't it, Rich? <laughs> <laughs> it's Just a Ferrari. A it's a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, you went to see this yesterday? Actually, two days ago, Monday. And, um, you know, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous looking car. I like all the new generation Ferraris coming, like the Roma and this. You know, a lot of curves, a lot of angles, a lot of, you know, the old sensuous um, designs of Ferraris. But when I go inside the car, I'm like, I'm sorry, like, you know, no matter how expensive or how well-priced this car is uh, for the rich people, that interior is just too high-tech. Like, it's, it's, you know, there's no gear shifter, you know? Huh? <laughs> there's no gear shifter. There's a couple of buttons, you know? It's, but, you know, that's a new generation of car buyer. They want to go reverse, they press R. They want to go forward, they press, you know, D. So, <laughs> anyway, it's the first 3-liter V6 Ferrari. It's a plug-in hybrid. It's uh, great looking. The price starts from just above 1.2 million ringgit before taxes and options. Now, this car, fully loaded, I mean, not fully loaded, but you know, reasonably loaded. If mm. you pay full tax, you're looking about just above 3 million ringgit. Now, oh what I found really funny with this car, and I say funny, ha-ha funny, with this car and the last three Ferraris that were launched in Malaysia is bookings of more than... 20, 25, 26, 28 people. Like this one had 24 people booking this car even before touching it. 
Abby is a great car, but <laughs> I'm I'm just yeah. trying to figure this out. Would you buy a car this powerful, this gorgeous, and everything else? Yes, but would you not want to touch it first or drive it or you know at least start the engine and <laughs> smell the fuel? You know, <laughs> I, I can't believe someone is not even test driving this car and saying here's here's money. So this is my guess, and you heard it here first. Twenty four Malaysians have booked this car. I'm guessing that twenty. We'll park it in Langkawi, and because the waiting list is now two years, they'll probably wow. try to flip it and make money. I don't know, because to me this seems like a Ferrari that you would keep. You know, look at the previous Ferraris. How many of them have already been flipped? I guess so. Because you see, I asked them. I said, "Can I get one? Can I not <laughs> be in the waiting list?" Because I thought to myself, I can flip it and make you know like three, four hundred thousand ringgit. You know. Yeah. Then they said, "No, there's a there's a there's a criteria. You know, even if I want to book it, there's a criteria whether they want to give me the car or not. So oh, even what's, if I what, have, what's that criteria? The criteria is uh, I I I I don't have all the criteria. <laughs> 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 yeah, but you know they they pick you. Mm. You don't pick the car. The dealership will say, okay, listen, we're going to send all your details to Italy, and they will decide whether they will allocate a car to you. What is this, lah? You know." Mm. Exclusivity. Yes. So the next Ferrari launch, I want to bring Richard along and see whether he can buy one. <laughs> whether he has the money or not doesn't matter. I'm going to see whether he fills the criteria. Right, right. I can tell you now it will be a no, but we can try, Daniel, for certain. Let's yes, try let's and see. Do. I mean, meanwhile, we'll get a free cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does look beautiful, though. It is, it is, it yeah. is. It looks like super wide and super low and active spoilers. And, mm, mm. All those things that we love about Ferraris, eh? Yes, yes. And red. And red, yes. Uh, should we take a break, fellas? I think we should. Okay. Um, ladies and gents, we are going to take a, a short break here. When we come back, Arif has a tale of uh, two factories for us. Uh, <laughs> whatever that means, stay tuned. I'm sure we'll find out. Uh, you're tuned in to Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9. Because freedom matters. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Cruise Control. I'm Rich Bradbury. I'm joined by Arif Ruse, the man with the news, and of course, Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. If you're only just joining us, we've had a quick chat about fuel subsidies and a couple of car launches, the Haval H6 plug-in hybrid and the Ferrari 296 GTB, which Daniel can't get on the list for, uh, nor can I. Uh, but anyway, something a little bit different now. Arif, you're going to be talking to us about... Um, Factories? Is that right? Really? Yeah. yeah. How exciting! <laughs> yeah. Okay. Daniel, shall we just have a little nap? Nap. I'm going to. I'm going to. All right. Okay. See you in a bit then. Get out your whipped creams. Uh, get out your ice creams and your syrup and everything because there's going to be a lot of waffling uh, in this parts. All right. Interesting waffling though because uh, you remember Carsum? They sponsored us a little bit towards the end of last year. They did. We know them as Malaysia's first tech unicorns. You know they have big, big goals. Last year and the years before, they've raised billions and billions and billions of ringgits over a series of funding. And you know they have a big, big goal and a big mission to digitize and sort of elevate the car buying and selling experience in Malaysia as well as the region. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but like many Malaysians, when once somebody talks about used cars in Malaysia, you know, you're bound to be a bit skeptical because it's almost like, you know, bargaining at the pasar. Mm -hmm. You're always trying to figure out who's trying to get the better deal amongst each other. 
Um, but I think in the past year or so, Karsam have established themselves very, very quickly. Um, they've hired very aggressively in terms of personnel. They've had so many inspection facilities open up all around town. They've gained so much good press from customers about how easy it was for people to sell their cars for a decent price and also buy a proper-looking, well-maintained used car. Mm-hmm. And it was going well. I think it was certainly changing a few of my friends' mindsets about the used car markets. They weren't so feared or scared about the types of cars they would encounter. But about two months back, they launched a new facility called the Carsum Certified Lab. It is the largest car refurbishment facility in the entire region. It's 185,000 square feet, which is two warehouses, one massive parking lot to fit all the cars in with lots of spare space in between them. And this lab's goal is to turn the cars you sell them into as good as new. This facility has every aspect of car repair covered, bodywork, paint booths, stacks of new tires, a general repairs, even car wash and detailing facilities, and a dedicated photography studio with the little lazy Susan to take all the photos that you see on their website. They even have a mobile Puspacom inspection service. So it's, you know, very, very in-depth. They'll even unpimp your ride. So, you know, you turn up in your beza with all these big wings and illegal tint and everything, they will rip it all off and return the car to its original OEM state. Uh, This facility, though, goes through about 2,000 cars a month, more than 20 cars a day. And to be honest, when I was there, it really does look as good as new as presented on their websites. It almost seems like a manufacturer's CPO lot. So it's very, very good. And honestly, I was very, very impressed by all of this. seemed very thorough. They had a whole plan and process and operations that um, really, to me, builds confidence about the used market. And I know it sounds like a sponsored piece, but as a person who probably only affords used cars, I was really impressed about how they do these things. And uh, you can have a look at uh, the pictures of of the facility, which will be posted on our Instagram uh, later tonight. So that's worth a look. But um, they have really big goals, guys. They want to revolutionize things in Malaysia, but it still feels at the moment, you know, it's it's a very urban thing because it's online, right? Mm. And... Uh, in Malaysia, there's lots of people just, you know, turn the corner and they find a used car dealer and try to buy a car from them or sell a car. So will they be able to succeed and change things with this facility and more? Okay, I'm going to ask you something. First thing, where is this location? Clang. Who's doing the work? Young people, old people, experienced people, you know? A mixture of young and experienced. Okay. So you, you can see a couple of seafoods in there making sure things are done right? La. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty extensive. I mean, the, the fact is that they don't really buy beaten up cars like all the other used cars dealers do. So, for example, mm. my 12-year-old BMW, they said we only accept cars 10 years and, and newer. And okay. mm-hmm. um, they must be of a certain condition. La. Okay. Mm. So that means if, you're, if you have a car more than 10 years, mm. uh, you still have to go to the traditional used car dealer. Pretty much, yeah. Or you have to try and sell it on your own. Yeah. Yeah, which is a huge downside. So, you know, hence the question, well, you know, is this going to work? Well, I think because of the issue of spare parts and ease of converting the cars back to OEM standard, that is why they're keeping it to 10 years. Also, when a car is under 10 years, it's a little bit easier to get loan. Yeah. 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 So they're not looking after all customers and they're not taking away the used car dealers, you know? Yeah, they've they found their own little niche. It, it seems like a smart idea. Yeah, I can see a lot of young people and a lot of women, I don't mean to be, you know, sexist here or whatever, but, you know, a lot of women are, are fearful of used car dealers, fearful of buying used cars. 
with something like this, they will just walk in and say, okay, I've, I've got everything sorted out. It seems all above water. And, you know, I'll put down my money and get a used car. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it feels a little less intimidating, right? Yes. 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 Interesting. Apparently, this sort of facility, a Carsum certified lab, will be launching in more places in Malaysia as well as around the region in Thailand, Singapore, and, and Indonesia. In fact, they just purchased a used car dealer or something like that in Singapore about a week ago. <laughs> so they are making big, big moves. All right. Anyway, um, we have some really big news from Porsche over the past few years, particularly about the fact that they were going to be assembling cars in Malaysia. And we first heard this from Azmin Ali, where he said, a well-known German brand being in talks to open a state-of-the-art assembly facility right here in Malaysia. And word got out, obviously, that was going to be Porsche. Everybody was excited by the facts. And um, Porsche had themselves in November last year confirmed the fact, saying that they would be opening their first Porsche assembly plant outside of Europe right here in Kulimkada at the Saimdabi Intercom facility, which is pretty big. And the fact that the locally assembled Cayenne was open for pre-orders at 130,000 ringgit discount over its CBU model. So that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It basically moves the Cayenne into a different price bracket, right, Daniel? Yes, it does. And also it gives the competitors who are not worried about the Porsche Cayenne for many years to start worrying. Because why? Mercedes has got a car very close to this. BMW mm -hmm. has got the same thing. Suddenly... The, the possibility of tripling and quadrupling sales is just crazy. And, you know, the Cayenne is the most successful model for Porsche. Mm. And what they're going to assemble here is also going to be sent to the region. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's been a lot of speculation that, you know, the Taycan Electric is going to come, the Cayman, the 911. And I'm going to say this. No, no, no. You heard it here first. No, no, no. Those vehicles are not going to come here. At best, you're probably looking at the next generation Porsche Macan. They did give hints about that in the press conference. Um, mm. And people were poking at the Porsche board members, you know, saying like, you know, the Cayenne is very, very popular in Malaysia. But number two, you know, the second most popular Porsche in Malaysia is a Taycan. Mm. You could not ignore that Porsche. And they're like, yeah, you know, you know, we, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, the quote is, we need to walk before we run. Yes. So that's very interesting. Upon hearing this news, literally everybody was you know, asking me, how cheap can the fossil in the Macan be? Right now, it's about 470, 460, something like that, right? Right. It's a lot of money. But if it was locally assembled, it could be you know, 100,000 ringgit cheaper, maybe. What about the Boxer? What about the Taycan, which is tax-free, really mm. cheap already, but you know, mm. it's still fully imported? As Daniel mentioned just now, it'll most likely be the next generation Porsche Macan. Yes. Mm -mm. But that's going to be all electric, so battery technology, et cetera, et cetera. Who knows? Anyway, um, on Monday, this Monday, um, they invited a bunch of journalists together to visit the facility in Kuda. It's kind of like a launch event. Us journalists, they put us up in a really fancy hotel. At the event, we had a lot of people. We had Syme Darby's bosses and teams, two Porsche board members, as well as a great number of key Porsche AG engineers. So they were really, really serious about it. And from the Malaysian end, you had the event was officiated by the Raja Muda of Kuda, who turned up in a beautiful Oxford green BMW 750 Li. Very <laughs> nice car. Uh, <laughs> he's got taste i'll give him that just, just a little sidestep there i mean i gotta point it out and of course there were of course the usual suspects from the government you know an entourage that featured the kada mb and some key folks from my Miti. 
On the main area of congregation, though, there was the first CKDKN. And uh, they were pointing this out because the VIN, you know, on all Porsches is directly displayed on the windscreen. The VIN had 0001 and it was wrapped in a livery with some names of all the people involved in the launch, including all the biggest media publications in attendance. You got RTM, The Edge, Autobuzz, Paul Tan, DSF.my, the biggest of them all. Um, no BFM, though. I was <laughs> very disappointed by that. Anyway, I took a look at this car, uh, and uh, I think it looked perfect. There's no panel out of line, even near the rear wheels where the door meets the side skirts and the rear fender. That's like, you know, five different points that have to line up in the perfect distance. So absolutely mm-hmm. stunning. Then they had us hear some speeches before taking us around the factory. And in the factory, they, they had several Porsche and Intercom engineers who were you know, presenting together each part of the local assembly process to help us understand how all of this works. So it was a lot. I think it was about an hour's worth of tours and learning and, and note-taking. So here's my executive summary. There's five different parts that I think is important. The first is the factory. Um, it's a repurposed intercom warehouse that used to house Mazda. It's been upgraded to meet Porsche standards of cleanliness and green. The building is air-conditioned, it's fully insulated, even has a rainwater harvesting system and massive solar panels on the roof, which surprisingly provides almost half uh, of the, the factory's energy. So very, very green. Awesome. But just for fun, because it's the Cayenne, they've also put some Cayenne pepper seeds outside of the facility just for the fun of it. Um, <laughs> so that's a nice touch. Uh, number two is the workforce, especially Azmin Ali, of all people. He was mentioning quite a lot of things about technology transfer, knowledge transfer, etc., etc., etc. Intercom engineers are sent for training in Porsche AZ to be equipped with all of these technical expertise and you know to familiarize themselves with the standards needed. Some from Porsche have been here to help the local team as well. And some Malaysian engineers were very well recognized for their excellence in making this whole operation work by Porsche. So, you know, as a Malaysian, seeing fellow Malaysians up there receiving certificates for one of the best car makers in the world, that's Mm. you're just happy to see that. Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) Um, Number three, the parts. I think this is the most important part because all but six components are actually made in Slovakia in Volkswagen's factories. And this includes the painted body shell, a powertrain, the electronics. They are then shipped through the Suez Canal, right into the Penang port and transported into the factory, along with six other Malaysian-made components, which are the front and rear axle, center console, infotainment doors, and the front-end module. So we still got a little bit of localization there. Um, when I asked them about whether they were going to introduce some more locally-made components, they said, no, no, we need to walk before we can run. Mm-hmm. Number four, the assembly. These parts are then taken into the main floor, distributed to each part, obviously. And the Inocom engineers will actually put everything together in just two days. So from a blank floor space into a full running, rolling car, it takes them two days to put it together, which is quite impressive, I think. Finally, the biggest part, quality control and quality assurance. You know, it's Porsche. These guys know quality. It's, it's just a fact. They've got a little tiny area where they put a tiny test track with little bumps and stuff to check the suspension and the cabin wrestling. Uh, one of the journalists described this as the PJ test, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, and then it, it, gets... it, was, it wasn't me because I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then it gets sent through, interestingly, uh, an indoor rain testing suite, which I guess kind of simulates the monsoon weather that we have here to make sure that nothing leaks. Mm. Immediately after that, it gets sent tens of meters forward and put through a serious electronics stress test before it gets repaired for the customer and then sent out to the dealer. 
So all of this in a span of two days from a blank floor plan to being absolutely customer ready. In some ways, I just kept thinking at the back of my head, I was, you know, it's probably simple minded and a bit rude to Porsche considering how well they treated me and the rest of the journalists that I thought, you know, it's just kind of like picking out flat back furniture and putting it together like Ikea, isn't it? In the factory, there is no machining, no stamping, no anything like that, no clouds of smoke or sparks flying. It's just precision tools, precision engineering. But, you know, just to close it up, a lot of questions arose from this because the significance of this assembly plant is very huge. I mean, it is the first Porsche plant outside of Europe. Yeah. And Porsche, as we know, it is a brand that really does take care of its image. For years, they refused to go on Gran Turismo because they didn't like the idea of people modifying their cars. Mm -hmm. Recently, of course, they're back on, but they're a brand who doesn't take their branding and their passions lightly. And it's a point much proven by the appearance and efforts of the Porsche's board members, as well as the key members of staff from Porsche AG as well. And of course, the commitment of the Malaysian engineers working in that facility. But again, what is the significance of this factory? If it is the first outside of Europe, what is the long game here? Mm-hmm. Daniel mentioned just now a bit of you know, the regional aspirations and you know, the potential of this factory and creating a base in Malaysia. Porsche, like any other brand, they were always going to be tight-lipped about this. And the quote I mentioned just now from Porsche board member Detlef von Platen, we need to walk before it runs, it kind of sums it up. They do see the potential for the brand to grow in ASEAN region. They can build on their two-decade-long relationship with Simon Darby and appease the hordes of Porsche fans and enthusiasts here in Malaysia. For now, the Cayenne is the one and only locally assembled Porsche, but this whole thing kicks off a process to ensure that Porsche buyers get the same level of quality control that they do in Europe, uh, as well as the same brand experience. Apparently, they're very confident that the facility can be scaled up to meet those local demands, whether electric or not. So I think it's a very, it's, it's, it's a groundbreaking thing for Malaysia, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just to have such a big brand here doing that thing. I know there's BMW and Mercedes and Volvo has been here a long time, but this is Porsche. And Porsche is unique. It's niche. It exemplifies the sports car. And um, I, a lot of questions people had was, and I'm going to pitch to you guys, is would you guys actually trust a locally assembled Porsche after hearing what I've said? And Daniel's question was, would you actually buy a recon CBU unit instead of a brand new CKD unit? Well, you see, the thing is, a lot of people are still going out and buying recon cars. And I, and I think what Porsche has done here is trying to make them realize uh, and open their eyes a bit. Listen, I'm saving you so much money. I'm giving you a car with a factory warranty, you know, factory after sales. And the fact that, you know, if there's any recalls or any upgrades and along the way, you can come back to the dealership and get it sorted out. Now you go and buy a recon car. You don't get all this. The warranty you get is a you know a warranty kadai. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if you read the fine print, you'll you laugh. But you know it's it's about time that Malaysians started waking up to this. This is why BMW does a lot of local assembly. Mini does local assembly. Of course, Mercedes does a whole range of local assembly uh, to curb all these issues. So yeah. I think it's a good move. But I still think there'll be enough people who will still walk in to buy a recon Porsche, which means the reconditioned importers, the, the, the AP holders, will have to push their pricing down. Well, how much do they cost now? Well, depends on the age and the spec and all that, but it's normally about 100 to 150,000 ringgit cheaper. So if this car now is 100,000 ringgit plus cheaper, mm. they'll have to push it even further down. So I, I don't see how they're going to you know, continue making money with the Cayenne. And if the Macan comes in, which is, which is another very popular recon car, then it'll get really interesting. 
rich. I mean, after all, I said, would you trust local assembled Porsches? Well, yeah, I, I, th I think I probably would. Um, I, and like you say, it, it's not like there's some kind of fly-by-night company who suddenly decided to set up here, make a few uh, quick bucks, and then disappear after a few years. This looks like something that's you know um, part of a long game. Uh, they're here for uh, an extended period of time. I, I think they just kind of upped the game for a lot of uh, local assembly plants. That, that's yeah, my and then opinion. Think about it. Where is the imported Porsche Cayenne coming from? Mm. Slovakia. Slovakia, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Major plan, though. Major plan. Yeah, it's a major plan. But you think Malaysia is any worse than Slovakia? I don't think so. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm flying the Malaysian flag here. <laughs> Interesting stuff, though. We're right to it because um, even hearing the Inocom engineers explaining alongside Porsche AG engineers about how this process works, I mean, I felt really felt a sense of pride. I was like, I was really jealous of the people putting together the cars. Like, man, you get to do these things. That's <laughs> that's really awesome. That's you know, filled me with pride as well. Good to hear. Good to hear. Let's wrap up this segment and come back in a couple of minutes when we've got a uh, a new car review. We'll be looking at the Volvo V60 T8 Inscription Sport Wagon uh, with a bit of a test drive. Don't go anywhere. This is Cruise Control on BFM 89.9. Bombing Frustrated Minds, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Cruise Control. I'm Rich Bradbury. I'm on the phone with Arif Ruse, the man with the news, of course, and Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. If you're only just joining us, we spoke about fuel subsidies, car launches of the Haval H6, a plug-in hybrid, the Ferrari 296 GTB. Spoke about Carson, spoke about Porsche. Now we're going to speak a little bit about Volvo. Take it away. And it's not just any Volvo. It's the Volvo a lot of people have been talking about. The V60. Yay. <laughs> v for victory and 60 for wagon. Okay. Actually, no, V is for wagon. Now, this is the, the T8 inscription, which is their high-spec model. Mm. Now, this car was launched. A lot of noise in the market months ago. Everyone was talking about it. A lot of people went to the showrooms to test drive it. But sales were very low. Sales very Ooh. low. Because why? Everybody walks into a Volvo showroom to look at a V60 probably ended up, like I've said it before, buying an XC60 SUV. Mm -hmm. Hard truths. Because the problem is everyone looks at the wagon and say, oh, you know, for a little bit more money, I get a SUV. And everyone loves their SUVs. And it's a global phenomenon. Now, over the last few years, I want to say this. I've seen how a lot of car companies have redefined their, their model lineup. When I say redefine, rename, reprofile them, I'll give you an example. A few years ago, you didn't have compact crossover. You didn't have crossover. You didn't have compact SUV. You didn't have large SUV. Uh, you know, everybody's got a new name for something. And then, you know, you got CUV and you got SAV. You know, they just come up with their own name. So for the first time ever, a journalist... Myself, DSF.my. <laughs> we are going to rename and reprofile vehicles. <laughs> so, is that allowed? <laughs> who's going to stop me, bro? <laughs> so, because a lot of Malaysians are not buying 
wagons because maybe they don't like the name wagon, maybe they don't like the word sports wagon, maybe they don't like the word station wagon, even though they like the look. I am mm. going to call this car a large hot hatch. Wow. I am going to say nope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm going to call it a large hot hatch. Because why? If you park this V60 next to a Golf GTI, okay, which is a proper hot hatch, right? Uh-huh. It's it's about the same height. It's about the same, you know, s- sleek look. It's just longer because it's a wagon. Well, that sounds like logic, yes. Yes. If you park it next to a 308 Peugeot 308 GT, same thing. It's a hot hatch, which is slightly shorter. Then if you park it next to a Mercedes A-Class 35, mm-hmm. again, you have a smaller boot. This has got a larger boot. Then you take the BM1 series, the 135i, same thing, smaller boot, this one larger boot. So I'll just call it a larger hot hatch. Because why? I can still use the name hot hatch simply because all the other hot hatches have got a flat back like this car. And the performance. I mean, look at the performance of this Volvo. This is shocking. And I want to start with the performance today because, you know, it's a 2-liter turbocharged engine with a, with a plug-in hybrid electric motor, 8-speed automatic gearbox. It's got 320 brake horsepower with the electric powertrain charged up, 407 horsepower. Okay? Blimey. The petrol engine has got 400 newton meters. That's already a lot. But with the powertrain plugged in, 640 newton meters. Okay? Yeah. Now, the 0 to 100 is 4.8 seconds. Now, that's hot hatch. Yeah. You're sitting right in the middle of a hot hatch. So, yes, you got a bigger boot, so you can carry your bicycles and you can carry your friends, you know, uh, you know, luggage when they go to the airport and everything else. So, let's talk about the test drive. I took it out for test drive. The first thing I noticed, you know, I'm not a tall person. I'm a shorty. But getting into the car is like getting into a sports car. The roof line is low. The seating is low. The car sits low. In fact, when I parked it at home next to my Mark V Golf, it's lower than my Mark V Golf. Oh, that's, that's really surprising. I thought, you know, cars might have grown over the years. Exactly. It's, it's grown in length. It's grown in width. But the height has gone, it's gone shorter. And you can, you can check this for yourself. So mm. it's a sleek, hard hatch. And then when I was driving out, driving here, driving there, I happened to find an A-class parked outside a car park. I went and parked next to it. Same height again. Mm-hmm. So it is a hot hatch. And when I parked it next to a 1 Series, it's, the 1 Series is actually slightly higher. So I'm still going to call it a hot hatch. Now comes to the driving. You get into this car. It's low. It's, it's got nice torso-hugging seats. Just like its sibling, the S60 sedan. Mm-hmm. Everything leather, beautifully layout, laid out dashboard. You start the engine, it's quiet. The whole system comes alive. The, the infotainment system, the, the, the touchscreen. You work it, it's easy. It's easy to get to know. You know, there's, there's, there's the touch and feel points, it's all great. The sound system is very good. Uh, you start driving it. And I got to say, when you start driving this car, you know, something that does under five seconds is just total enjoyment, you know? Mm. And people at the back are comfortable because unlike traditional hot hatches, this has got a lot of legroom. So I can be driving it and Richard, with his height, can sit behind me without complaining. Nice. Very important. Very important. Yes. And then you still got that big luggage area at the back, which is flat. And if you want to go cycling or you want to do some adventure stuff, you put those, those rear seats down, you got this huge load area. 
you could sleep in it. Exactly. So this car has got all the, the elements of a hot hatch, the size and everything, except it's longer. And what's wrong with it being longer? It still does 0 to 100 in five, under 5 seconds. i got to keep repeating that because the performance is amazing. The mid-range torque in this car is really shocking. Okay? Yeah. Now, I wanted to do a little bit of comparo with, with the people, with the, with the cars I mentioned just now, like the mm-hmm. BMW. The BMW is, you know, almost, in terms of Apple to Apple, it's almost as powerful. But the BMW is much more expensive. Mm. It's 355,000 ringgit. Then you have the Mercedes A35. Now, that's an AMG. That's a real powerhouse. Very fast, very accomplished car, but 379,000 ringgit. And then you have the Golf GTI, which doesn't have all-wheel drive. The rest have all-wheel drive. This doesn't have all-wheel drive. And it's, you know, 0 to 106.2 seconds, which is not as fast as this Volvo. But it's 211,000 ringgit. So there's a huge price difference. And then when you look at the Volvo price at 286,000 ringgit. So it's about 70,000 more expensive than the Golf GTI, but it's marginally cheaper than the A35 and the BMW 1 Series. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to tell people is, stop comparing this to an SUV. Start looking at what you can buy in terms of hot hatchbacks. Take it all out for a test drive on the same day if you can. And then you'll start realizing how much better this long hot hatch is. <laughs> Interesting. Recently, I've been spotting a lot of the S6e, which is the sit-down version of this. Right. And it got me thinking. I mean, because the S6e is about the same price, right? About, I think, 278 or something like that, right? right? A little bit less. Why you have the V6e? It's, I think it's prettier, it's bigger, it's more comfortable. It probably drives better as a result. Rides better, I mean. Why don't you just go ahead and get a V60? Because it costs the same price. Well, you know, that's what I'm trying to say. I think there's a, there's a, there's a psychological barrier to owning a wagon. It wasn't like that 20 years ago. It wasn't like that mm. 30 years ago. But mm. because of the, the huge influx of a variety of SUVs coming to the market, if you talk to a lot of people, they say, oh, you know, my next car has to be an SUV. I say, why? No, because of floods, because of this, because of that. But actually, a lot of people are not, a lot of these people are not experiencing floods or any of those reasons. It's simply because social pressure, uncontrolled social pressure says, if you drive an SUV, you've gone upmarket, you know? Mm-hmm. The same thing with hot hatches. Why suddenly there's a lot of demand for hot hatches? Because why? People say, oh, if you drive hot hatch, you're young, you're vibrant, <laughs> you're like a party guy. So I'm saying, convert this car in terms of name to a hot hatch and then you'll get a lot of buyers. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Marketing. <laughs> do, you, do you think there's that kind of uh, mental block as well? I mean, if you're looking at this, uh, the V60 versus the S60, you know, and we kind of rewind to what you were saying, Daniel, like a few years ago, the, with it being a wagon. Wagons generally, people might think of them as being something that you would use to take the kids to school, right? Right, exactly. Um, whereas the uh, the S sixty might be something that mum or dad would use to drive to and from work. Yes. So whether you're driving a wagon or you're driving an SUV or you're driving a sedan, you still put your your kids in the seat when you take them to school or wherever else. You're not yeah. putting them in the luggage area. Yeah. So I've what difference say, does it make? It's a very sexy wagon. I do, and that's not very often I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you think about it. If you if you t- talk to the average Malaysian, oh, would you buy a convertible? Oh no, Malaysia rain like Malaysia very hot. What's yeah. wrong with a convertible? I'm not asking you to open it when it's when it's raining. I'm not asking you to open it when it's hot. Mm-mm. 
we do have early morning weather and late evening weather, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which are absolutely perfect most of the time for convertible weather, right? Yes. I have an old convertible, an old Mazda MX-5. And I know some people tell me, hey, how you manage your car, Reina? I said, there's a roof. <laughs> As you can see right now, the roof is up. You know? <laughs> and I say, oh, very hot. I say, yes, the roof is up. <laughs> I have aircon. You know, it's just it's just a mindset. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm ch- I'm trying to change that mindset. All right, interesting stuff. Thanks, for that Daniel. Hey, you're welcome. Now, <laughs> folks, if you've just missed any part of the show, don't forget uh, you can download the podcast wherever you do- uh, normally download it from. We recommend using the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. We had a show in three parts. We started off with fuel subsidies and car launches. We then moved on to Carsum Certified Labs and Porsche's new assembly plant over here. And then, of course, we've just wrapped up with a new car review. It was the Volvo V60 T8 Inscription Sport Wagon Test Drive. Although it is, Daniel, what are you now calling? A long, hot hatch. A long, hot hatch. Believe that or not, tune in next week, same time, same place here on Cruise Control on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.